Hi, and welcome to Season 3 of the Electric Cities Podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Warson. It's been a year since I started this podcast, and after 18 episodes of really interesting topics and a lot of terrific guests, I'm delighted to see the amazing growth of our audience over the past year. So I hope you keep listening and please share your feedback. Today, we're going to revisit the topic of Toronto's booming condo market, which since the late 1990s has been on an unshakable ride of prosperity and growth. To talk about this, I'm joined once again by Mimi Ng, Senior Vice President of Sales and Marketing at Menke's Developments. Mimi's had her finger on the pulse of the condo market for almost two decades now, and was our very first guest on the podcast. Mimi, it is so great to have you back. Hi, Jeremy. I'm so happy to be back. It's great. I was thinking about the podcast today, and I quite literally feel like I'm Tom Hanks or Denzel Washington. You know, they're both won two <laughs> Academy Awards, and here I am. I'm the very first two-time guest, two on, guest on Electric Cities. Yeah. I, I feel like I should have my own, like, you know, special jacket or mug. Oh, yeah, the master is <laughs> some kind of a green jacket that we can yeah. that we can don on you. And the next repeat guest, I'll welcome them in. And <laughs> <laughs> well, we actually, we joked that maybe we should make it an annual chat. That was the end of our podcast, right. and here we are. Um, and with good reason, because the condo market is such a fascinating industry to watch. It affects all of us, and it's one of the primary forces that's shaping our city. Now, I had another listen to that podcast we did last year, and one of the things you mentioned was that in 2017, the GTA condo market registered about 35,000 new pre-construction sales, beating out the previous year's record of 28,000 sales. That's right. So for 2018, how has the condo market performed? So in 2018, there were 20,028 new condo sales. Um, so that's down actually 42% from 2017's number. Um, and it's always difficult because you're coming off a record high. So there's always that comparison that's difficult to live up to. Um, so it sounds like a bit of a, a real downshift in performance. And it, looks, it certainly looks bad. But if you look at the 10-year average... Uh, the GTA market normally achieves uh, about 20,500 sales. So last year's performance is really, historically speaking, about 3% off the 10-year average. Um, but there definitely was a change in mood. Last year when we spoke on the podcast, um, I talked about the mood of the marketplace. And I used a phrase called FOMO, which is fear of missing out. Now I know what that is. Yes. I didn't know what it was. <laughs> so for those of you who don't know, it, um, it, I was really trying to f explain the fact that people felt super motivated uh, to buy real estate. And it really felt like everybody was getting in the market mm -hmm. and there was a feeling that if you didn't get in now, you were going to miss your chance. Right. Um, in 2018, the mood of the market really shifted into um, what I'm going to call a state of JOMO. JOMO? JOMO. Is, and is it, this, this a first? This this, is, no, I, I didn't make this term up. This is more of a social media pop culture term, okay. but JOMO refers to the joy of missing out. Okay. And it's normally referred to, it's used in the context of you make plans with friends to go on Friday night, 
And the last minute, somebody sends out a, a text and says, I'm canceling. Mm-hmm. And it's that sense of relief that comes over you of like, yes. I <laughs> yes. I get to go home and just Netflix and chill mm-hmm. and I don't have to go out. That's Jomo. <laughs> so Jomo in the real estate market, I'm kind of using this term here, but I think it's a good way of describing the mood of the market because buyers on the sidelines right now, for the most part, a lot of them are, seeing mm-hmm. as how much we saw sales drop off last year. And they're actually perfectly fine with being on the sidelines. They're not, they're not bothered by it at all. Um, and is that because the market has stagnated? Like prices have not gone up, so they don't feel like they're mes- missing out? Or is there a, something else at play? There's two kind of factors I would point to um, about the lack of urgency in the marketplace. Um, one, there's a lack of confidence. And uh, last year we saw uh, a couple of large cancellations, large projects canceled um, in the uh, VMC, the Vaughn submarket. Vaughn Metropolitan Center, right. yeah. That was so, a big news story. So two different developers, one in the spring, one in the fall, canceled um Six buildings in total. Each project had three towers, mm-hmm. and they were, that was worth about 1,100, 1,200 deals in each case. Mm-hmm. Over the past two years uh, in the marketplace, we've seen about 5,000 units cancel. So why are these projects canceling? Different factors. Mm-hmm. Um, some people are talking about financing. Some people are talking about costs that, people, that these developers sold, and then they actually realized that they looked at their performers and realized they couldn't actually afford to build. Lot, most but that's careless, isn't it, on, on some of these, on, on the backs of some of these developers? Um, presumably, I know Liberty was one of them, and mm-hmm. they are, they've been around for, for several decades. Mm-hmm. Um, to say that they, they, didn't, they didn't do their performa right, I mean, is, is, is that what they're standing by? Or is there other I things think in on? both cases, they talked about financing. That was what the official word was mm-hmm. to, when they sent out letters to their, to their purchasers. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, nobody can really speak to what really was happening behind closed doors, but there have been a lot of rumors and speculation that based on when they did those deals and Liberty in their case, I think they sold those units in 2016. Mm -hmm. Uh, In the case of the other developer, Gupta, in the fall who canceled their project, they did their deals in early 17. Um, But in the time after they wrote those deals, you know, construction costs really... Uh, increase in the marketplace. So that's led some people to draw conclusions that maybe they realized that they couldn't, they, their see. performance didn't work. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that's speculation. I can't speak to that. Mm-hmm. But they're definitely, construction costs definitely are playing a role. Uh, there's definitely some developer, some of these projects that cancel, uh, there's inexperienced developers. Um, but, you know, so you've seen 5,000 cancellations over two years, but Last year, those big cancellations really had a ripple effect in the marketplace. You know, if a, if a project of 100 units cancels, there might be a little bit of news about it. And there's only a small circle of people who really know that happened. 1,100 deals canceling. Mm-hmm. There's no way that somebody doesn't know somebody who was affected by that cancellation. Right. And so that's so there's a fear that sort of spread across for um, prospective buyers thinking twice about whether they should invest in in a project where they they may get um, they may be impacted by um, another event like that. For sure. I mean, it's in that context. If you have that many cancellations, anybody who goes and buys a condo 
Like all you need is like somebody comes home and says, great, I bought a condo and they tell their cousin and their cousin says, oh, really? You bought a new condo and it's not under construction yet? Wow. You know, my hairdresser's <laughs> brother bought a condo in and Vaughn, and you know, they canceled after mm-hmm. two years. Like, wow, are you sure about this? Like, you know, bad news travels quickly and it gets repeated. And everybody knew somebody who was affected by those cancellations. And so there was a big shakeup in confidence. That was a, a definitely a factor. Um, there's a report um, that Remax issued at the beginning of, I think at the end of January, and it was a survey of consumer confidence across Canada. But um, I think it said that on, in Ontario, uh, 52% of single Canadians uh, were said that they um, were not confident about buying in the market right now because of economic uncertainty and high home prices. Mm-hmm. So the confidence of the market is not there mm-hmm. at this moment. Like there's, I'm not, I'm not saying it's a complete, uh, it's a complete like uh, downshift, mm-hmm. but definitely confidence has been shaken. And so not everybody is willing to put their money where their mouth is and okay. they'd rather wait. Okay, so this, the JOMO, I was gonna say FOMO, but the JOMO. <laughs> new um, term. The new term. Um, you're saying in your mind, it's partly because of the fear of, of investing in a project that may, that may fail before it actually ever uh, comes up, um, or factors in the actual housing market. Is, is that another reason, or, or is there something else? Well, the other thing I was going to point to was where pricing has gone. Mm-hmm. So pricing has really moved up very quickly in the past couple of years in the new construction market, in the okay, pre-construction so market. What are the price? What were the prices say last year compared to this year? Average, average prices for, um, and they, it may be across different segments of the condo market. Well, I was going to say that, um, and these are urbanation stats uh, for anyone who's wondering. Um, as of the end of 2018, the average price for an unsold new condo unit um, in the GTA was 978 a foot. Okay. And that's up 10% from the year before. Hmm. In the former city of Toronto, which is really covering the down, you know, most of that former city of Toronto submarket is driven by the downtown. Um, the average price for an unsold condo unit uh, was twelve forty eight a foot. Really? Yeah. Wow. So over so the so the former de- city of Toronto submarket has moved well above the thousand dollar kind of threshold, which at one point, like five years ago, a thousand dollars was considered a luxury. Un- right? Yeah, it was yeah. considered an untouchable number. It was like, OK, well, if you're doing the Four Seasons project, you're doing a, a super luxury project in Yorkville. OK, sure. A thousand pluses. Is- that makes sense, but for just a typical mid-market unit to be over a thousand a foot was just beyond people's imaginations, and now that's just the number. Is that so? Is that the number because of escalating construction costs, or is it because of cost of land or cost of financing? What what is what is impacting that? that it's, it's a bunch of factors, and actually, I was having lunch with someone last week, not last week, last month. And they said, and they were talking about the price escalation. This is somebody who's not in the market, uh, not in the industry. And they said, "How could your prices be going up so quickly? Like, are you sure this is not developer greed? Like, how could you? <laughs> like, I don't get how your numbers are moving up so so rapidly." And um, you know, and keep in mind, for the former city of Toronto, uh, that twelve forty eight a square foot number is up fourteen percent. 
Hmm. So compared to the GTA number, which was going up 10% over the past year, in the former state of Toronto, the numbers are rising even more quickly at a faster pace. So for new for a new pre-construction project, there's a few there's a few things at play that are driving that price up. Um, development charges, levies are going up. Um, labor costs are going up. Material costs, you know, steel tariffs are factoring in, things like that. There's, um, uh, you're, we're talking about dealing with more challenging sites now, especially in the former city of Toronto and the mm-hmm. downtown core. Um, remember when you used to go see a Blue Jays game mm-hmm. like 10 years ago, 15 years ago, and you could park anywhere? Yeah. It's like a sea of parking right. lots. You had your choice. You go down there now, it's traffic nightmare, mm-hmm. and it's just buildings, like condo buildings, office buildings, and uh, all the easy sites to develop are done. Like each, all those easy parking lot sites, so it's open surface parking lots, mm-hmm. those are all done. All the sites that are, are left are challenging sites, tight urban sites with higher construction costs where you're, you're literally calculating your, your, um, your radius of your crane swing and dealing with agreements with local neighbors on tiebacks or, um, and these sites take longer to also get rezoned because they're more complex sites. So um, as a result of all of these factors that are increased, the having an impact on these escalating um, prices of condos, are, are we starting to see a slowdown in a number of project launches um, new uh, across the GTA? Um, or is it still the same? I mean, at what, at what point does the developer like Menkes and others say, you know what, the cost of these units are getting so high and the demand may not be enough to, um, uh, to support this kind of development? The market is going to give you the signal. Like, and the market already gave us a signal last year with the drop in sales activity. Um, so I think what you're going to see this year and is that we're going to see the number of launches um, fall off because some developers will just simply look at the marketplace and decide, you know what, I don't know if I can be successful right now. Mm-hmm. I don't know if there's a big enough base of demand. And, you know, a lot of bill, the way that pricing is right now for pre-construction product is actively pushing people to into the resale market. So the, I think we're trying to think of an example. Um, so uh, during the same period that we talked about the past year, um, resale condo pricing, the GTA went up only 6.5% and it averaged 690 a foot. Hmm. So that's a big gap, 690 a foot versus almost $1,000 a foot. Why is that? So the resale market encapsulates everything. So tons, and these are buildings that go back 30 years. So you're, in, you're looking at a very large stock of old, I see. old to new mm-hmm. condo product, but a better example I came up with was um, Young and Eglinton, for example. So in that submarket, um, in the fall, there was a project that launched called Line Five, and it, it's uh, I think it's a two-phase project. The first phase was launched at the end of October. And it was, according to Urbanation, the pricing was ten fifteen a foot. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think right now this spring they're launching the second phase, um, and so they're probably going to be in the same territory, maybe ten twenty five, ten thirty five a foot. Um, and that project is quoting a delivery date of twenty twenty two. So you bought in the fall, or you're buying the spring, and it's four years away that you're going to get the keys to that unit. Um, 
But if you were to look at elsewhere at Young and Eglinton, um, for resale product, for resale, yeah, uh, there's a great building. I've never been in. I have to be careful. There's a great <laughs> building that I see all the time when I go to the gym across the street. It's called the Madison Building, and uh, it's two towers. And there's a Loblaws at the bottom. It's on Eglinton East. Mm-hmm. It's like a. It's at, basically at Eglinton and Redpath. It's a couple of blocks off of Young Street, and that building delivered. At the end of 16, beginning of 17. So it's like a two-year-old building. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you can go in, you can see the units, you can see all the amenities. It's built, it's settled down as a building, you know. And when buildings first delivered, there's a little bit of turnover and, you know, everybody has to find their footing. But Mm -hmm. that's a settled-in building. So in the last quarter of last year, uh, Q4 resales in that building were $9.59 a foot. So this is a brand, essentially a new building, mm-hmm. $9.59 a foot. That's $56 per square foot cheaper mm-hmm. than line five. Mm-hmm. So if you translate that to a one bedroom, say a one bedroom is 550 square feet, that's about $30,000 difference. It's, it's $30,000 cheaper to buy a resale right now that's essentially brand new. If someone can find a resale unit. That's true. So, But we're pushing people that way. The historical relationship uh, in the marketplace was that um, resales were priced higher than pre-construction. So when you bought pre-construction, yes, it was delivering four year, three or four years down the road, and you were getting a discount for that. Yeah. Um, now, we flip that, somehow the market has flipped that equation, and new, pr- new projects are all, seem to be priced at future prices in the consumer's mind. So that's going to push people if they can find the resale product and if they have the ability to transact now, they will go into the resale market and not wait for that pre-con project to deliver. Well, all that being said, I I know today is February 13th and I noticed uh, that your own project, Sugar Sugar Wharf, down at the East Bayfront on the former LCBO lands, um, you achieved... um, uh, the point of selling 85% of the total 1,463 units just since the summer of last year, which is right. um, uh, a real achievement. So clearly, people are still buying uh, new product. What do you think? And now, this is an opportunity for you guys to toot your own horn. But <laughs> what, what do you think? Uh, thank you, thank you for the segue. Yeah, <laughs> what, what do you think is an op- what do you think was the reason for? Um, uh, the strong sales since uh, since the launch in the summer. So that project was it was it was a standout last year, and it was a bit of an anomaly to the rest of the marketplace. I mean, it actually ended up being the best selling condo community in the country, um, and so we were very lucky uh, to achieve that result. There were a few factors there. It was, um, I think, buyers really respond to location. It's the former LCBO warehouse office site on the waterfront, um, and you know, this is part of a larger community of uh, five towers and a new, office, a new office building that's under construction. There's a park that's being proposed as part of it. Um, so we kind of were really coming in with a, a vision for a real community, um, and it's that really kind of uh, spoke to people. And there's also, all the buildings are going to be connected to the path because the path is expanding east of Young Street. Mm -hmm. So people, I think, really 
love the idea that it was it's waterfront site but you still got the best of the city at your doorstep because of the path um so they respond to the location uh because it is a standout location uh they also uh really respected the fact that it was our brand and it was mancus and we we can deliver so there was a lot of confidence in our brand uh so actually we were lucky there that a lot of, a lot of the buyers um a fair segment of them were repeat buyers and people who had purchased from us in the past. Um, and so there was a lot of confidence in the brand and belief that it's you guys. We know you can deliver. And in fact, if you had gone by the site, um, we actually started uh, construction on phase one of that of that community in January last year. We had a groundbreaking ceremony for the office tower. Um, so people could see, you know what, you're definitely, it's definitely happening. I don't have to worry that this is not going to happen because you guys are already in there digging away. So there was confidence there. So I do think there is a, uh, there is going to be a flight to quality in the marketplace at, um, buyers this year are going to do their homework and really look like, like, so it's, so it's not to say that the market, there aren't going to be pre-construction sales. There will be. But uh, the buyers who do decide to buy pre-construction are going to do their homework and probably go to known brands, major developers, people who have track records and that they know can deliver. Um, and, and they're going to be more selective. And so who are these buyers that are, uh, that are still in the market for, for condos? Is it across the board? Is it um, first-time buyers, singles, couples, families, empty nesters, or are you finding a, only certain segments of that uh, of the market that's interested in buying? Um, first-time buyers uh, definitely are still there. Empty nesters are still a player. Uh, Move-up buyers is a segment that I think that we don't talk enough about. I mean, there's a whole generation of people who have lived in condos, and they actually want to stay living in a condo, but they want more space. So somebody who's now in 500 square feet would love to be in 800 square feet. Somebody in 800 square feet would love to be in 1,200 square feet. Or somebody who's in a 20-year-old building likes the idea of being in a brand new building and starting fresh where they can pick their own finishes and you know, be in the building with the latest and greatest technology. Um, I would say the investor component of the market that like people have talked about a lot and always talked about as being a huge driver, that's cooling off a bit. Um, you know, we're seeing with the, uh, you know, the the affordability test or the financing test, like that, that was going to be my next yeah, question. That, the stress test. The stress test has really started has factored into cooling off some of those investor buyers. Um, we haven't had any difficulty with, um, like we've we deliver we delivered I don't know how many units last year. We delivered a building a couple of buildings last year. Uh, and then we're delivering a building right now. Um, and we haven't had any people cancel deals, but we have had people, um, you know, have difficulty with financing and at the last minute ask for extensions or uh, need a bit more time to kind of close their deals. And these are people who, you know, we check in, check in with them 30 days prior and they say, oh, yeah, no problem. I'm going to be fine. And then two weeks later, they come back to us and say, actually, I need a week extension. I thought I had financing, but somehow it's disappeared on me or I have to go to another lender. So there is, that's a small segment of the market, but definitely the stress test is playing a role. And it, it's certainly playing a role in the low-rise market. I mean, there's very few listings out there. I understand it's at a 20-year low right now. 
Um, and that and the stress test has certainly played a, a huge part of that. Um, uh, so how is that playing a part, or at least maybe I should, by extension, housing affordability, um, which is amongst many circles is being called a crisis. In fact, um, Richard Florida, who I interviewed uh, a few months ago, called it the greatest crisis facing the city right now. Mm-hmm. Um, how is the uh, affordability crisis uh, factoring into the condo market? I mean, it's it's a serious problem. I mean, we were just talking before we went on air about, you know, the the Feb- I think it's a February issue of Toronto Life magazine and the cover of that magazine of of the the, the cover story. Um, you know, I think that looking at condos as part of the affordability solution, yes, to a point, but like as we talked about, like the prices of what's happening on the new construction market have moved up to a point where condos are becoming not exactly affordable for as they once were. Right, because it was always seen that if you can't afford a ground-oriented housing, a single, a semi, a town, then your next best bet is the condo. But now you're saying the prices have escalated so so fast and mm-hmm. so much that maybe that's not an avenue for people to choose if they're looking for an affordable housing option. Well, it's a bit tough because... Say five years ago, um, a one-bedroom condo would have been, like the threshold would have been 350000 375000 Now, a one-bedroom condo is half a million dollars, and a studio is $400,000 on the pre-construction side. Like, that's a big jump. There's definitely a sense of sticker shock, and so... That's that's where some people are having concerns about, okay, well, condos are now becoming unaffordable, so what is left? And and strangely enough, when we were going to talk about trends going forward, I actually think that um, there's always been this backlash towards um, excessively small condos, but I actually think that you will see sweet sizes start to drop again a bit this year because part of the way of dealing with end price affordability is to make the units smaller. But that's tough because not everybody wants to live in a unit like that. I remember our old our old boss, Barry Lyon, he when we when this small suite phenomenon started to come up, he said, you know, it's like we're building for a generation of people who are thin and have very few possessions. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's like what are we doing? Right. Um, even though, you know, internationally speaking, Small units are, like, people's perception of small units is not the same as what we believe in North America. Um, So I do think that you will see some small units come back into vogue. Um, The affordability thing, it's it's a whole system. It's it's not just about condos. It's about low-rise, high-rise. I do think mid-rise or... um, like condo townhousing or stacked townhousing has a bigger role to play in certain urban locations. And we're hearing more and more of that, that, that missing middle, um, uh, tackling the yellow belt and trying to get um, the city of Toronto, at least, to loosen their policies in these stable, low-rise neighborhoods to enable uh, developers to do um, three, four, five-story uh, buildings with towns and duplexes and triplexes, mm-hmm. gentle density increase, I right. suppose. Um, do you see that as, as an a- avenue that 
um, developers like Menkes uh, and others would, would want to pursue? Is, there, is it just too small an equation? I think if a site was large enough, we definitely would consider it. We've done a few projects over the past few years that are uh, townhouse sites of um, that medium density, so stack townhouse product. And it's it's challenging product to build, uh, especially because you're it's like a hybrid. You're you're building an underground garage, right. but then the above grade is wood frame, and so it's and the and even the market is not entirely familiar with the product. Mm-hmm. And so, because they're not a ton of examples, right. uh, so the market also needs to be educated about okay, why this product works, but why you know, but manage your expectations about what it is because I mean, stack townhouse units like are typically depending on the format. There's some of these units have a lot of stairs. Uh, some of these units, the first level is like partially below grade, um, and not not a lot of people have seen that necessarily. Um, we're working on a project right now, actually. Uh, in the VMC at the Vaughn Subway, where we've got a combination of condo towers and um, townhouse product. And some of that product will be stacked townhousing, which I think offers a great um, family-oriented option at the subway, mm-hmm. which is pretty difficult to find. Sure. Um, and that, And we're hoping that we'll be able to price that at a number that makes sense for people. Uh, but at the same time, it's it's challenging product to build. Not everybody builds that type of product and a lot of developers who have tried it have only done it once and they don't go back to it because it is it's 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 complex it's a tough nut to crack i mean on, on the policy end and especially as an infill development dealing with existing residents in the in the local area the whole nimbyism right. phenomenon and as you're as you're mentioning earlier just um, the return on investment whether it actually makes sense so there's a lot of hurdles and it's a great idea in theory but actually can it be implemented and we've heard I've heard a similar comment from Richard Witt um, an executive uh, principal at Quadrangle um, expressing the same concerns about mm-hmm. uh, mid-density developments but getting back just to um, the condo um, the condo products that we're seeing from um, developers like yourselves what are the latest trends that that uh, are being released in um, uh, in your in your latest series of launches I think um Last year, we spoke a little bit about this, about child-friendly kind of amenity spaces. And that trend is still very strong. And I think you're going to see, continue to see developers incorporate um, kid-oriented amenities in their projects. Um, I think Tridel has a project in the Etobicoke where they don't just have a kid's room, kid's playroom, but they even have a tween tween room. Um, So you're seeing actually more inclusive design that speaks to the reality of who is living in these condo buildings. And there are a ton of young families. Um, every time I go and visit one of our buildings, I'm struck by how many people there are with babies and toddlers. Mm-hmm. Um, so the fact that we can build a wider range of amenities that speaks to that population and gives them some functional space that they can use is great. Like at Sugar Wharf, we had, um, I think this might be the first for the market, where we had a set of adult amenities, like adult party room, games lounge, et cetera, et cetera, uh, co-working spaces. But we also had a full set of kids' amenities. So we had an outdoor kids' play zone on the t- outdoor terrace. Uh, we had a kids' party room. We had um, arts and crafts kind of Lego room. And we also have a, a playroom. And so that's the first time that anyone's done so many mm. spaces for kids. And it's just about recognizing that 
this is the population that's going to live here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, especially if I'm talking about a, trend, about a trend of getting to smaller and smaller units, you need another space to bring your child. I see. So whether it's for families with little kids or, I guess, singles and couples who are sort of squeezed into a smaller space, they need some other space where they can socialize and they can breathe a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, are there any amenities or trends that used to be popular but are sort of on their way out? I feel like there is still continuing a debate about pools right. and how much use their use they get mm-hmm. and the cost of putting one in and the cost of maintaining them. Uh, there used to be a lot of like virtual golf kind of stuff was used to be a big thing. I don't think it's quite there, although I think virtual classes in in the gyms and exercise rooms is now becoming a growing trend. Hmm. Um, I was going to say technology is a big is a big topic that comes up now where I mean, think when you go on vacation and you get to the hotel, what's the first thing you do? Well, you check in, you check in. And after you get to your room and when you're checking in, what do you ask for? Oh, the uh, internet uh, yes, password. Yes, the Wi-Fi password. Yeah. So, uh, like a lot of developers are now putting a bigger emphasis in their campaigns and in the uh, infrastructure they're putting into buildings about Wi-Fi connectivity, like in ele- in the elevator and parking garages. Like, I mean, there's people are so much of people's lives are online and they're consuming so much bandwidth in terms of whether it's Netflix or Amazon or whatever mm-hmm. you're watching. Um, that need to be connected is so important. And so you're seeing people ask a lot more questions about that. And, you know, people, you go visit a friend at their, at their building and they'll say, oh, the Wi-Fi here or the, the signal here is so bad or I always, I always feel like I'm being blocked. <laughs> like that's just sort of, con- that's a complaint that comes up like that. That sort of thing is the thing that people are really aware of now. Okay. And that's the kind of thing that they ask for because they've experienced bad reception in other. Well, you, you'll see developers offer like, um, possibly sign exclusive deals with certain providers to provide upgraded packages or. Um, you'd be surprised at how many people, when they're talking about uh, purchasing a condo and the questions that they have, like they'll start asking you things like, "Okay, so what is the uh, the bandwidth or the quality? Like, the, like how fast is this internet going to be?" And um, and you know, and just before people just assume, yes, there's internet connectivity, but they'll actually now get into questions about a little bit. They're a little bit more tech driven about like. How fast is the connection? Like, how how good are the download speeds? Okay, so those are some exciting, I guess, some for the tech savvy um, purchasers. That's something that they would keep uh, keep their eyes on. Um, I just want to. So I'm going to just towards the end of our podcast interview. Um, and you've talked a lot about in the, in the early part of the interview about soaring costs and um, more and more people sitting on the sidelines. Um, what what for you are the biggest challenges facing the condo market today? Biggest, well, costs. Costs. Co- costs for the developers and costs for the purchasers. Yes. So costs for us, for as a developer, that we have to pass on, like the that basically is driving the pricing equation. Mm-hmm. Um, that equation of where we're at right now versus the resale market, like I said, is actively pushing people out of the market. Or causing people to pause and say, well, like, there's real sticker shock going on where they're like, what? Like, a one bedroom is half a million dollars? Like, that's a lot. And like, a thousand dollars plus a foot? That's a lot. And so they have to, the market is still in the process of trying to adjust to that number. 
And so they're looking at the resale market a little bit harder and trying to figure out, okay, well, maybe I can buy now if I can find the right unit and I'll get a loan from my parents Mm -hmm. to make the deposit now as opposed to, you know, buying something that's four years away and saving up for that to that date. Um, So that's a big factor that I think is a challenge here. And it's, but it seems like year after year, that's always a concern. You know, have we hit a threshold where, we can no longer sell units because the cost keeps going up. But condo product, product condo launches keep keep coming up. New ones keep coming up. Do you think this is the year where things are really going to come to a halt because of what you're saying? I don't think they're going to come to a halt. I think they're going. It's going to keep slowing down. So last year we saw just over twenty thousand sales. I think you're going to see somewhere between fifteen to. 18,000 sales. So we're going to keep seeing sales come down. Um, that was going to be my next, my final question. What are your predictions for the next 12 months? <laughs> so you would say a, uh, an ongoing drop in the number of sales to 15 to 15,000. I think you're going to see developers hold off on launches, uh, but there still will be some launches. And and keep in mind, like the, all the projects are under construction right now. There's still this inventory that has to be sold in those buildings. So they people... Developers are going to shift to focusing on cleaning up their inventory of what they're already committed to building. Um, there's still li- there still will be some shakeups in the marketplace. I think there's still a, I think there still might be a few cancellations in the works that will make the news, um, and or people will be still waiting for projects to deliver. Like some builders will take longer to deliver that product and figure out their costs and get under construction or. So there, so there's still stuff happening out there. That's like not not everything has been fully worked out in the market. So a lot, uh, a lot harder work ahead for you guys. <laughs> um, you have to sharpen your pencils and really drill down and and to, to try to make these projects uh, projects a success. I don't want to take any more time. So thanks again. No, um, thank you so much for the second time. And maybe we'll have another one a year from now. <laughs> uh, check lo- in to see if your predictions are right. Well, hopefully we'll come back next year, and we'll, it, it won't be as painful as the years I'm describing. I don't think it's going to be a pain, a terribly painful year. I just think the market is um, gradually going to slow down a, a little bit more, mm-hmm. and we're not in some sort of free fall. We're we're just basically downshifting, and the market needs to find a new sense of balance. Okay, where is that? Valuable insight. Thanks again. Thank you so much, Jeremy.